Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Well, I uh, decided to start off this podcast right. I uh, got a sweet new haircut yesterday. Wow. You got a haircut, Will. The Eagles are the Super Bowl champions. There's a lot going on in the world. (laughs) It's all coming together, baby. February's up to a rip-roaring start. And boy, won't those people on your Facebook just let you know about it. I uh, So I kind of made this one of the... uh, one of the posts this week on our uh, on our social media. Uh, did you have how many people did you have on your social media who were excited about the Eagles win versus Patriots fans who were uh, not excited about all the bad calls? So I mean, our, I think our results are skewed by where we live geographically. Yeah. Um, of course, we're in Halifax, Nova Scotia, a place that has no professional football team. And the nearest one um, in sheer mileage, like if you were to pick out on a map what team is the closest to us, it is the New England Patriots. So most people around here are, which I hate to say, New England Patriots fans. Um, so the majority of my timeline were people upset. But anybody who had a more global view on the world we're happy to see the Eagles, the eagles excuse me win uh, a little bit of an underdog story there i was happy i mean honestly of like i like to keep up with it just because it's like you know everybody likes to talk about the super bowl at the water cooler these is probably my least two my least favorite two teams in all of the nfl so i i could kind of care less but it's still exciting to talk about I was happy at least because uh, one of my one, my friend is a, a big Eagles fan, so I was uh, glad to see them get their due and uh, uh, see him be happy about that. Welcome everybody. No, this isn't uh, NFL Hour with Will and Lucas. This is, <laughs> believe it or not, the Elwood City Limits podcast. It's the episodic Arthur podcast. That's right, the PBS Children's Show. Arthur. My name is Will Young. That's Lucas Mancini. Hello. Uh, so before we get into uh, our episode, our stories this week, we've got a cu- <laughs> we've got a couple. Well, well, I'm watching my stories. <laughs> you got to keep it down. I'm trying to watch Arthur, the young and the Arthur, <laughs> the bold Arthur Hospital. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was trying. I was going to try and mix Arthur and passions, but uh, nah, that doesn't really work as well. I was just going to say Arthur God, what was the last time you watched Passions? That show, like, people always mix it with, like, all those other uh, soap operas. But what people forget is that Passions is nuts. It's, like, absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, uh, so there was, there was a period when, so my grandmother, when she was alive, used to watch General Hospital, and my sister used to watch General Hospital. And uh, so I never did, but... Passions was on like at around the same time, and I remember kids on the kids on the playground were like talking about it, and it is like, re- like it was one of the ones that had like supernatural elements in it. That's what I'm saying. Like most soap operas, the craziest they'll get will be someone will die and then come back with an eye patch, and it'll be like, oh my goodness, it's a- you've been actually sleeping with my twin brother. Uh, that's like the most out there most. Uh, soap operas will get. But Passions was like, there was like a mute girl who could only talk through text message and they would superimpose the text messages on the screen. And there was like witches and like people got trapped inside people's minds and stuff. I, I Passions is weird. Was it, wasn't there, wasn't there like one of the characters was like a little boy or he was like a, a living doll or something like that? Oh my goodness gracious. I, I, if that is true, I believe you. Like you have, I I'll take it all on face value. You could tell me almost anything about passions, and I believe. Well, you. I think that we've got our uh, our spinoff show for Elwood City <laughs> Limits. Uh, 
we've got the plans ready to go for Passions Cast or whatever it is going to be. Oh my gosh. I guarantee that already exists. You know what? I should look that up. Also, I'm definitely going to read the Passions Wikipedia page after this. Looks like it's going to be full of fun <laughs> tidbits galore. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we are going to answer some viewer mail and uh, Tumblr asks here uh, before we get into the episode at large. Uh, so I've got a couple of tumblers here, um, and uh, the, uh, the one of them is a couple of weeks old, so I apologize for how late I'm getting around to it. So let's go to that one first. Uh, Anonymous says, I was re-listening to the Background Blues, and now let's talk to some kids podcast, and it hit me that so many of these Arthur episodes are based around class projects. If you were in Mr. Ratburn's class, what project would you be most interested in? The family tree, the animal report, the ancient civilizations assignment, etc. We've had a lot of them uh, so far. Ratburn's a creative guy. It's true. Um, a lot of his, I wonder, like, I, for a second I was going to say I wonder which class Ratburn te- teaches, but of course it's elementary school, so he teaches all subjects. Um, hmm. I mean, ancient societies is always pretty interesting. Uh, but so is Animal Report. I like how, you know, this is something that'd be frustrating for a kid, but it's kind of invigorating for someone our age, is how open-ended his projects tend to be. It's like, you have to do a report on an animal, but it could be literally any animal of your choosing. Um, which is really fun, because you have a lot of options. Whereas a kid, you probably want a little bit more direction, and that's actually probably more frustrating than exciting. But I don't know. I'd have to think about that, which one I'd most like to do. Not just open-ended in terms of uh, subject matter, but also in terms of, like, presentation. Like, it always that's ends right. up... There's, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of uh, episodes that end with, like, hey, like, we've chosen to do this as, like, a... a an illustration or a demonstration or an interpretive dance or what have you. So I, yeah, we're going to actually wrap Binky up like a mummy. So I think, uh, you and I would probably like collab on a rap of some type. Oh my goodness. A real school, uh, schoolhouse rock, like rap about phonics type. Absolutely. Oh, yikes. Absolutely. That would make like a cringe compilation or something. (laughs) Yeah. But thankfully it would be before YouTube. So that's not going anywhere. Uh, mm. uh, we also have one here from Kevlar Ninja. Uh, t- to answer that previous question, I can't really think of one in particular, but I would like to do a nice old-fashioned uh, tell-me-about-this-animal uh, two-page report. That's just sounds like a nice breeze. Kevlar Ninja was listening to the episode Binky Garbage, and the bit about Crazy Bus reminded them of when they learned... Excuse me, I'll read this in there. It reminded me of when I learned how they retired Crazy Bus from the show since the guy who wrote it was involved in some case of fraud with Nelvana, the animation studio, on the first couple of seasons. So that's maybe that's why, you know, they went, they like literally threw the Crazy Bus CD in the trash. Oh, so is that like the end of Crazy Bus? Like they're never going to mention it again? I mean, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head where Crazy Bus. Uh, like, I, I, I'm not sure. That's crazy. We're, we're gonna, the guy who wrote Crazy Bus is, like, involved in fraud. That's like Little Wayne Birdman. Like, they're going to keep using Crazy Bus without the writer's permission or something. That's really interesting. You will have to keep an eye out to see if Crazy Bus ever does indeed return. We also got a uh, thank you both for the Tumblr asks. Appreciate it. We also have an email to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com from Dylan. Uh, it is, and uh, it's uh, titled Location of Arthur. He says, I can't believe it took me this long to confirm it for you guys, but Elwood City is based off of Mark Brown's hometown in Pennsylvania. So Elwood City, if it was set in the States, would be in Pennsylvania. Uh, also of note, Cenar, who sponsored and created Arthur, is a Canadian production company. Later, Cookie Jar Entertainment that produced the show after season 8 was also a Canadian production company too. So... We've got some roots in Pennsylvania and some roots in the good old land of the red and white, Canada. Remember the episode where uh, Binky is the only one that knows the paintings upside down? Yes. I think that was a clue that led us to, it was the museum, because that real painting, we figured out it was in the Museum of Philadelphia, I think, which is very close to Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, Though it might have actually been Pittsburgh, but I remember it was around that area. Uh, so that was the only clue that led us, and I mean, Pennsylvania is in the American, uh, the 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 uh, Northwest or whatever it's called. So it makes that fits all of our clues thus far. Right, we've kind of narrowed it down to like Pennsylvania is uh, a front runner. I think Boston was also one 
but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think Pennsylvania has at least has a little bit less of a regional accent, maybe. So yeah, we've got some we've got some real leads right here. Hey, one day we're hoping for actual coordinates of Elwood City. So that's right, that's right. I want to see a geo tag. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, everybody, for your responses to the podcast. Keep them coming. We love to hear from you. And let's get to it. Today, we are talking about, first of all, Popular Girls. Was this a bit of a confusing episode title before you actually figured out what it was about? (laughs) She's so popular. Yeah, I had, like, no idea what this episode was going to be, especially because the way it starts, where it's Arthur talking about this weirdo spring vacation where it's not actually a vacation because you still have to go to, like, uh like daycare or day camps did you ever do like spring break day camps because that was so i did a lot of day camps when i was a kid because even like when school wasn't in my mom didn't want me like lazing around the house or like not doing anything so she signed me up for all kinds of day camps maybe not during uh march break or anything like that but uh very much during the summer yeah, same here during the summer, and I was always jealous of my friends who didn't have to go to day camps. They could just do whatever they wanted all summer long. Um, but for this, I'm really confused, because Arthur's saying spring vacation's one week, um, so we have to go to these day camps. But they seem to be like school-sponsored day camps, because Mr. Rapper's running a lot of them. I don't know if he just does it in his off time, and it's a coincidence, but it it's weird, because like, all of Arthur's friends are also in it. It's very confusing. Yeah, it, it that was the thing that was like, oh, this seems to be like school mandated, maybe. So yeah, M- not much of a vacation, if you ask me. Yeah, that's kind of too bad. But Arthur is starting the episode explaining that of all the stuff he gets to do in these spring break camps. So Mr. Ratburn has like a scene where uh, he and a couple of uh, Arthur and a couple of the girls are reenacting Macbeth. Uh, Buster had a group that found antiquities which he has trouble reading which i thought was kind of funny uh and it's and it's all like uh stuff <laughs> that uh old hey only 90s kids will know so like pogo sticks record players rotary phones and i'm like hey i know what else, i know what those things are uh, yeah i guess pogo sticks aren't really antiquities you could buy, i could go out and buy a pogo stick today and neither are record players since they've come back in the last uh, decade or so. That's right. You go to an Urban Outfitters, th- there's nothing antique about spending 120 bucks on a bad record player. Mm. And uh, some of the older kids like Binky, Prunella, and the Tough Customers are uh, doing some clay sculptures. And then finally, Fern, Francine, and Sue Ellen are like laughing at a magazine. Arthur's like, no, not that. So... I guess that's the hook? Question mark. Is it is it revealed that it's a magazine at that point? Because I wrote down, yeah, it's like a it's like a cliffhanger because you can't really see what they're laughing at. They're laughing at something, and Arthur's like, no. Yeah, it kind of. It, I mean, knowing what was coming, it's like, oh, okay, they're looking at the magazine. But yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not immediately present. Uh, so after the cold open, everybody is packing up random stuff into their backpacks. Which I must note, everybody has the same green backpack. The the point is that. Catherine and Francine have the same th- have the same backpack, and so they accidentally take each other's. But everybody has this green backpack. How does this not happen on the daily with everybody it's... in the spring break camp? Jan sports were popular. What could I say? <laughs> uh, so it's them bringing materials for. So like Arthur has a bunch of knickknacks that he's gonna make t- uh, make an instrument out of, and Buster and Brain want to create a futuristic suit of armor. However, Jenna and Muffy, who are in their group, want to weave baskets. <laughs> and and the uh, the disdain in Brain's voice as he's like talking about like we want to create a suit of armor and they want to weave baskets is great. Good delivery on that line. Yeah, we get a little hint here of what's going to happen. Fern, thankfully, is a main character in this episode, and she uh, meekly offers to read a poem during during the song that they're going to do. And then is immediately shot down by Francine. Uh, so Francine, she she kind of pulls the book out of her book bag, like the book of poems. Yeah, and like everybody's like, "No, we're not going to do that." And she like slowly pushes it back in. Yeah, just like, "Oh, I guess it is a bad idea." Uh, so Francine upturns her backpack, realizes it's Catherine's, and they find the magazine, which is called Popular Girl, which is kind of a uh, Elwood City version. Tiger Beat. Yeah, Tiger Beat was the J- one I thought of. J fourteen. Yep. 
Uh, is there? I think there's like a teen version of Cosmo too. Do you know what's crazy about those magazines? Is when I was a kid back in my day, they were all like Disney stars or whatever. Like those the, are the type of people that would be on the cover Boy ba- of like a J fourteen or something. Yeah, yeah, like your Jonas Brothers, your that sort of caliber of teen celebrity. Yep. Nowadays, it's all influencers. Really? It's all yeah. If you look at one of those magazines now, it's all YouTubers and Vine stars. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so 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 we're talking like you know instead of the Backstreet Boys, it's like hey, here's Lele Pons or something. Exactly. Here's the Paul brothers. Yeah. Huh. Well, that really seems to be taking off with uh with kids these days. Kids these days. My God. Uh, in 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 a way that I guess it never could when we were kids. So I find I find it interesting how they are uh very popular, and I'll be even more interested in. A decade or so to see how the kids of today look back on uh, uh, their life with influencers, just as we're kind of doing now with boy bands and all this kind of stuff. We get a good one here where it's like they're all reading Popular Girl on the playground, and Muffy comes up and just like to Arthur, who has it open, just like, are you reading Popular Girl? And Arthur immediately <laughs> pawns off like, not me. <laughs> he just got caught. Uh, and so they start doing a, the quiz in popular girl, which the thing of this whole episode is that they think initially that because this is written for teenagers, that it's like scientific and like irrefutable and there's like a kind of mystical power to it. So there's a quiz here that, uh, they all decide to take. I wrote down the first question. Do you remember these quizzes, like in the in these like J fourteen type magazines? It's funny because they've also almost become obsolete due to the invention of BuzzFeed. Uh, now these would all be like BuzzFeed quizzes, like you pick three desserts and we'll tell you what supernatural character you are. Uh, but I remember back in the day, it was like, yeah, what's your personality type in this uh, Teen Vogue? answer these questions and we'll tell you how to get like a boyfriend or whatever uh it's just funny because i feel like they're not uh, like these quizzes are kind of made obsolete by buzzfeed that's a good point although i must disagree because at the time i was not reading j14 i was reading (laughs) wizard magazine that's right. I would have been reading uh, Disney Adventures magazine. Oh, dis- which member? Which member of the so- which Sonic Heroes team are you? Are you Team Chaotix or are you Team Sonic? I had I had a Disney Adventures subscription for several years. I loved I loved that magazine so much. Uh, or or it was like small, like a Reader's Digest, right? Like it wasn't a full size magazine. Yeah, it was it was very small. Or the Canadian publication, the magazine, not for adults. That was. I'm not familiar. Yeah, it's it's kind of an also ran around those times. Uh, Kids digests also had their time. Uh, So the question is: If you were a sandwich, your friends would be a potato chips, b diet soda, c the plate, or d hungry. What do you think? Um, I would say d hungry because I'm delicious and everybody wants a bite. I would say potato chips because they're a great addition to my life. <laughs> your your life, yeah. And Buster and Arthur would agree with you because uh, even though they initially scoff at the magazine quiz, whenever they hear this question, they immediately pop their heads back out and both yell, "Hey!" Yeah, Buster, uh, Arthur, and Brain do that, and Buster just goes, "If we eat our friends, do we fail the test?" Uh, they also have another question that they work on. Your idea of fun is A, going to a big party, B, going shopping, C, going to the library, D, going to the kitchen. What do you think for that one? All of the above except for D. uh... What are you talking about? Going to the kitchen's a good time. I mean, making food's a lot of work. I guess that's true. But but you know what else is in the kitchen is uh, potato chips. Stuff in the fridge. (laughs) Touche. Stuff in the fridge. Touche. Uh, I'd probably, of these three, I'd probably say, I mean, shopping if I got the money. I would say going to the library. I, you know what? I thought you might say that. Yeah, I love going to the library. You're a, I'm, you're a, a well-learned fellow. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I just, you know, like to read comic books. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will mention here, since we talked about the kitchen, maybe I'll put this up on our uh, social media this week. I did have, did you see my disastrous attempt at making chocolate chip cookies? 
I did see that. It, uh, um, ba- basically, basically, folks, what happened is is that uh, I made I made many mistakes. One of them was uh, making a uh, recipe that was going to make like forty two cookies, which, considering they were all for me, I didn't uh, didn't research well enough. So basically, what happened is I made a slightly burnt, basically chocolate chip puddle, like a very very fine chocolate chip like crust, like like a. Like a crumble if it was very thin. Yeah, kinda. It was. It was. It was pretty sad. But uh, but Jenna, my fiance, got a big laugh out of it, so it wasn't all lost. And she didn't mind that I wasted like <laughs> a bunch of her ingredients. So I'll try again. But uh, I, I'll maybe I'll show you sometime this week of uh, the disaster that was my attempt at chocolate chip cookies. Uh, yeah, so they accidentally, the wind takes the magazine and puts it into the mud, so they never get the chance to finish the quiz. Uh, so most of the kids end up giving up. Francine and Arthur have this discussion about how they're kind of nervous about becoming teenagers, about, like, is that how we'll think when we're their age? And it reminded me of, like, when I was 11 or 12, like, on the cusp of becoming a teenager, I was like... So what's going to happen here? Like, am I just going to like totally change? Is being uh, what's being a teenager is kind of intimidating. Francine's got a really like poignant line about. She goes, "Sometimes I think about what it's going to be like when we're their age, and I don't sleep for hours." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Fern steals the magazine from the trash because she really wants to know her score, and she's joined by Sue Ellen, who they both want to. Uh, Fig- they they're both very curious about it, so they go to the sugar bowl, finish their quiz. Uh, I love this character pairing, by the way. Sue Ellen and Fern make such a great pairing because they're opposites, much like uh, Paul Abdul and DJ Scat Cat. Um, Fern is an introvert and she's quiet, and uh, Sue Ellen is an extrovert. You know, she's very worldly. Um, I think they're perfect contrast for one another. So it's a really fun pairing and fun to have an all girl pairing. Yeah, I like that they get the spotlight as well. Those are two characters that are kind of secondary that don't get the chance to shine very much. And that's a great point. Like they are indeed like diametric opposites. Uh, and it's something you don't realize until you have them both next to each other. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, these two are could not be less alike, but they but they still get along pretty well. Fern score underscores on the test which means the test says she's too quiet and she needs to kind of speak her mind or else risk being ignored forever we get this uh i love how the answers are written exactly like a real like teen magazine would Mm. like they don't they don't seem like they're written in a way just to push the plot forward like they use the exact language and sort of uh prose that like one of those magazines would use like people forget you exist like do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah it's the, i mean everything is uh, written in a very specific way especially teen magazines it's meant to, to appeal to that age group and i think you're right uh it is meant it it kind of zeroes in on what the um the um anxieties of a teenager would be so like you know Mm. not knowing you exist or people thinking that you're uh people being too afraid of how good you are uh we get a cutaway of fern and it's like mr ratburn taking role and then he calls for fern and she tries to she like goes like here i am but she's like transparent so she's like a ghost that's right. It's her worst nightmare. She's fading away like Marty McFly's parents. Mr. Ratburn like crosses her name off, just like I'm gonna have to call her parents. This is the third day she hasn't been here, and then everybody runs away and like forgets her, and she just goes, "This is so depressing." But <laughs> <laughs> that was very firm. And of course, Sue Ellen gets uh, scores way over a hundred, and so hers is that people are frightened by her excellence and overachieving. Her cutaway is that they're you know they're all playing together in uh, music class she's essentially she's essentially lisa in the simpsons opening kind of yeah especially right down to the saxophone and uh it's like her cutaway is that they're playing in music class and she does like this awesome saxophone solo and tellingly all of the guys get super un unconfident next to her like buster's just like oh what's the point i'll never be as good as sue ellen we get a good oh, we get a good one here i love this line from arthur he yeah. slams his head on the keyboard and in this very robotic delivery, just goes, I'm frightened of her excellence. 
<laughs> and my fi- the comedic timing of the sound of his head hitting the keyboard as well as the delivery of that line really sell it my favorite is binky who goes who gets into ellen's face and says i might as well stick my tongue in a drawer and never blow again <laughs> like what like what a line uh... so they both decide that they have to change immediately or else they could be like this for the rest of their lives so they'll so they're going to be different for the rest of their spring break together. That's right. There's a great moment here where they talk about cuz this episode could all fall apart cuz obviously the logic is this says they won't have friends, but they already have friends. But uh one of them comes up with the idea that well, this could be talking about it's a teen magazine, so they have friends now, but if they continue this behavior, they'll lose all their friends once they become teens. Yeah, it could be predicting the future. So the next yeah. so the next day they're doing a karate demonstration and uh, Which this seems more like judo, yeah. than a karate. It's very throw based. Karate's more striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, good call. Of course, <laughs> you being the MMA fan, you know right away that it's like <laughs> judo is more of the the throwing. Yeah, yeah. It's either judo or maybe like a taekwondo, but it's definitely not karate because there's no like. Yeah. Anyway, that's just my little nerdy. So the whole thing of the next couple of sequences is that, you know, Sue Ellen is underplaying her own confidence and essentially making herself less confident by just, you know, doubting everything. And because Mr. Atburn says, let's get a let's get a demonstration from our expert Sue Ellen. And she says, I'm no expert. You know, I'm I'm average or less. So kind of really underselling herself, whereas Fern will be incredibly demonstrative and assertive. Uh, which is very unlike her, which which I I did like. I like seeing that side of Fern's personality. So here it's like uh, Sue Ellen and Buster uh, are, are <laughs> This is together. so great because Buster's like so afraid of like stepping into the octagon with Sue Ellen. Yeah, it's like he's going to fight Steve Blackman or something. <laughs> and then Buster actually ends up flipping Sue Ellen because, of course, she's not really going to put up much of a fight. And then Buster's like, wow, I flipped Sue Ellen. I must be good. <laughs> and then Binky steps in. He's like, "If he can do that, I can do that." And did you see? Did you notice this? Like Binky power bombs Sue Ellen. Like he. F- yeah, I was just gonna say Binky straight up power bombs her. Like he gives her the Diesel jackknife. <laughs> like I'm looking at it right now. It's it's like a picture perfect power bomb. Thank God none of these kids yeah. are you know hurt or anything. And Binky points it's out quite a violent elementary school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Binky points out that this victory feels hollow. Because Sue Ellen wasn't trying. But then Fern flies in and she does, like, essentially, like, turns Buster upside down and throws him at the wall. And <laughs> and, and, and Buster, Buster kind of slides down onto his head and he's like, we get a fun little pun here where Buster's talking about it's like the world's upside down because Fern and Sue Ellen are acting so strange, but also because he's literally upside down. Uh, the next thing is... Muffy and Brains group trying to figure out basket weaving. So uh, they, they go to ask. Here we get one of the most random lines ever spoken in Buster in uh, Arthur history. Is it Fern's line? It's uh, uh, Muffy's line. Uh, so uh, you were in Belgium. Do you know any reliable looming techniques? <laughs> I, you know what? I didn't. That one totally didn't even register with me. That is funny. Uh, we do get a line here from Fern, and again, it's like, it's weird to have her kind of, it's, I mean, it's, uh, I should say, it's good by her voice actor to have her, like, voice be so versatile, because we never hear Fern kind of speak above the octave she normally talks in, so, like, Fern goes up to the basket, and she goes, like, silver, please, go with red, (laughs) and she sounds like a completely different person. Yeah, I wonder, I was thinking about that. There's a moment in uh, the next episode we're going to talk about where Buster sort of have to talk, he sort of has to talk like an adult, and I was wondering if that's closer to the voice actor's real voice than the Buster voice is. Similarly, I wonder if this voice, even though it's she's kind of putting on like a Valley Girl accent, I wonder if like the... Uh, uh, like the volume she's speaking at is closer to the voice actress's real voice as opposed to the very quiet Fern voice. I will say, I think that uh, uh, Fern is one of my favorite parts of this episode, thinking about it now, because uh, the next day they're like trying to make musical instruments uh, that's in Sue Ellen Fern's group with Francine and Arthur, and Fern bursts through the door and addresses everybody by saying, okay, potato chips, which is great. <laughs> next time I burst into a room, I'm, that's what I'm going to say. 
Uh, and that's what, and you know what? I just realized that's like a reference to the start of the episode because they're her friends. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Your friends are the potato chips. <laughs> oh my goodness, I didn't even pick up on that. Uh, so Fern asserts herself as leader, and Francine's like, well, Sue Ellen, what do you think about this? Sue Ellen kind of says nothing, and then Fern says, Sue Ellen and I have agreed she has no opinion on this. One of the great dynamics of this episode is both Sue Ellen and Fern are, like, putting on characters when they're in front of the other friends. Uh, but when it's just them together, they sort of revert back to their real selves and they sort of go over the experience. And I think that's a really cute touch of, like, when everyone's in the room, like, Fern is yelling at everybody and Sue Ellen's all meek. And then they, like, go back to their true personalities once everybody leaves mm. and sort of compare notes about the experience. Uh, so essentially, them becoming different people has led to a chain reaction of this entire spring break camp melting down, which uh, which leads to my favorite thing of this whole thing. <laughs> Binky's going through an existential crisis about Swell and flipping him. Like, he still hasn't let it go. He's like, she let me flip her. That means she doesn't even consider, like, he, 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 it's totally, like, destroyed his worldview. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, was, that was my favorite part of just, like, him. He's lying down on the ground with half of their Trojan horse costume. So that means he <laughs> just, has, just has a giant horse head over, like, half of his body. And he's just, like, I, I wrote down existential crisis as well. He's just completely despondent because uh, he doesn't think... He feels that Sue Ellen doesn't think he's worth flipping anymore. <laughs> so they're talking, uh, Sue Ellen and Fern are talking about how they thought this was going to make them happier, but everybody is less happy. And then uh, everybody else finds that they dug up the popular girl magazine and Francine denounces it as that magazine is just goofy. <laughs> so uh, Gorge. <laughs> Yuck. Uh, so they get, so they decide to get rid of it and, uh, they affirm that they like Fern and Sue Ellen the way that they are. So everything essentially. Buster asks if they skewed the results by asking if they're uh, by saying their friends are diet soda. Yeah, that may that may have brought down your score. Uh, <laughs> so they bring everything back to normal. Sue Ellen helps the the basket weavers. Fern uh, makes an instrument, and Sue Ellen gives Binky a tilt a whirl gut wrench suplex, <laughs> and he is immediately uh, ready to finish the Trojan horse. Almost gave him a tour of the islands. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's the closest we're ever going to get to Jeff Cobb and Arthur. That makes me sad. <laughs> Jeff Cobb got a, Jeff Cobb would make a great Binky. Oh, Je they, he's got the perfect proportions. Oh, man, maybe that's like, maybe that's why I like Binky and or Jeff Cobb so much. <laughs> hey, hey, kids, look up Jeff Cobb suplex on YouTube and, uh, yeah, just check out that, that business. It's one of my favorite. Put that guy in an orange dress shirt, and that's basically human Binky. <laughs> Oh, Halloween 2018, Jeff Cobb, please. Uh, so they, we end the episode. They've uh, successfully made their instruments. They've made the Trojan horse. In fact, they've managed to make uh, the group with Brain and Muffy have managed to make a cloth that is indestructible so that they can't actually go ahead with their project. Which is great because... Uh, we get. <laughs> I like the Muffy and Brain pairing as well. I think we've had that before in the episode where... Uh, or at least it was like Muffy versus Brain in the episode where Brain wanted revenge. But <laughs> Muffy is like, oh, we made it too strong with the silver. I can't uh, cut up the fabric. And then Brain's like, excellent. <laughs> and uh, the episode ends with Mr. Ratburn digging up the popular girl quiz and realizing, according to this, I don't give out enough homework. Right, Mr. Ratburn got a score over 200, whereas Sewellen got a score over 100. And apparently if you get over 200, it assumes you're a teacher and says you're not assigning enough homework, which is a cute ending, I assumes think. Assumes you're a narc. <laughs> and now, a word from us kids. And now, a word from us kids! So this... What are these made instruments called again? They they talk about it earlier in the episode. Uh, Francine kind of calls them the wrong name, and then oh, Swell and... Uh, um, idiophones. Idiophones. So, th yeah, these kids are making uh, homemade instruments, which I thought was kind of a neat project. I, I don't think I ever did that when I was in school. I mean, they really stretch the term instrument. They're kids. I'm very impressed. Listen, I don't want to hate on these kids' instruments, but I will say not all instruments are created equal. For instance... The ones that made percussion instruments, those will make actual music and beats far more than the people who made the elastic band guitars. 
You gotta use your imagination to think of the sound those make as musical. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they kind of they kind of differ in terms of like difficulty and uh, sound and everything. I will say that some of the sounds kind of sound like they were uh, edited in in post production, which is not like right, which is not like uh, this. That's not a call out or anything. It's just like, well, maybe they didn't make the sounds that they kind of thought that they would. So that's my favorite thing about this whole section. Besides the one kid who goes, we're going to have a nice jam, jam session, session here. here. Except he almost stumbles on the word jam, se- jam session and says jam section kind of. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, the other favorite thing is there's a part at the end where the camera is panning on all the kids playing their instruments at once. But the music is very obviously added in post to make a song with like our actual melody. Yeah. And so my question is, I bet the raw footage and raw audio is hilarious of all these kids just like playing their mu- instruments in unison with no beat or like everybody's like... I bet it just sounds hilarious, just like everybody playing at once. It's like that SpongeBob episode where they're kind of trying to do a band practice, and it's like before their band gets good, it's like everybody playing at the same time with no sense of melody whatsoever, and it just sounds like noise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they had to sweeten it a little bit. You're right, but it's kind of a cool project, and their designs on. No, it is a cool project. I hate to be a hater. Yeah. It's 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 cool. And the designs on them are pretty cool too. Hmm. All right, here we go with our second story. It's called Buster's Growing Grudge. And uh, the episode starts off with Arthur. Go figure. He's talking about how he and people he knows get upset about things. We actually start this off, like, right away. Like, it's, like, Arthur talking about all the times DW has gotten upset. And then we get... And we get this hilarious, like, picture in picture. Yeah, we get this, like, Hollywood Squares-esque look at all the times DW has been upset. And it's, like, not even half of the first season. There's like these six instances where it's like DW screaming and crying, and then they just kind of overload Arthur, and he's like, okay, maybe DW gets a bit more upset than most people. Uh, Another example is Francine, who thought that she was going to score a game-winning home run in baseball, but then the wind shifted, and uh, someone from Mighty Mountain accidentally caught the ball, and Francine was really upset. Uh, Another one... Francine channeling Tom Brady here. Ayo! Brain... Uh, was excited about a probe going to Saturn, but then realizes that the probe won't get to Saturn for seven years. To which he says, how can I stand waiting seven years for photos of Saturn? And then finally, the whole thing is ends ends up with Arthur building up Buster as the person who never gets angry or upset and kind of like ha- has him in almost like his own title card and then like unveils some curtains and it's like, Buster Baxter, the happiest, jolliest, most fun, but he doesn't realize that Buster has like his his ears are downturned. He's got a sour look on his face, and then Buster like turns away in anger. And then Arthur's like, "Hey, what's wrong?" And we have to figure out well why Buster is upset. Uh, the episode itself starts off with Buster watching Bionic Bunny, who is uh, supposedly needing to get some medicine for some character named Aunt Bob. <laughs> Bionic Buddy's sort of playing the Balto role yeah. here. Good one. But Bitsy asks Buster if he's done his homework yet, and I love this. Buster kind of start, tries to lie and then doesn't. He's just like, Buster, did you finish your homework? Yeah, almost. Well, actually, no. So Buster goes to do his homework, doesn't see how Bionic Bunny ends. So essentially, he doesn't get the time to properly do a report that he's supposed to do. He just spends all night coming up with a joke because he heard in like a uh, when it comes to presentations, if you start off with a if you end with a joke, then it will uh, improve your presentation, which I think is fairly sound. A lot of the more memorable, oh, yeah. me- more memorable presentations you hear have humor in them. Absolutely, a funny thing happened on the way to the uh, the show tonight. Yeah, absolutely, I I hundred and ten percent agree. So he's got a he's got a joke he wants to try out, and he goes to Binky, asks if he can try it out oh. on him, and then Binky's. This is some fan. This is just good comedy right here. What happens next is like this is like a Simpsons joke or something. This is just funny. Uh, Binky says, "Sure, I like to laugh as much as the next guy." Then like one of the unnamed extras just like comes through the shot, like muttering, just like, "Oh no, oh dear, oh oh my." <laughs> And then Biggie's like, okay, the guy after the next guy. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. So Buster's joke is, what does King Su- what does King Tut say when he gets scared? I want my mummy, which, you know, 
joke book quality, but Buster came up with it on his own. So, and it does get a laugh. So Binky, so it seems that that will be surefire for his presentation. Uh, the whole presentation, by the way, and this is uh, relating back to our anonymous Tumblr ask, is that it's a report on somebody's favorite historical figure. Uh, Binky's favorite historical figure is Christopher Columbus. Ew. Hey, <laughs> Problematic Binky. Yeah. Well, he's young yet. He'll, he has time to learn, <laughs> which I guess makes Buster's uh, report about King Tut. Uh, so yeah, Binky finishes his report and Buster's all raring to do his. And then all of a sudden Binky just, uh, joke Jack's Buster and kind of ruins the joke a little bit. Like he, his Binky setup is what, you know what King Tut said when the Sphinx scared him and then everybody laughs, but Buster is horrified that, uh, Buster's essentially Bill Hicks and Binky is Dennis Leary. And he's just like, he, he, he took my joke! We get a great vertigo zoom on Buster's face. Like, Buster's mind crushed by the... Like, the audacity of Binky taking his joke. Yeah, the the reverse dolly zoom, kind of. And Buster's like... he it's He's completely in shock. Like, <laughs> like that same tone of voice I just used is what, is what he did. And, of course, because without that joke, his report is basically nothing because he spent more time on the joke than he did the report. We get this... Oh man, I don't know how to describe this. Like this this freaked me out. So Buster goes up to the front of the class and everybody's looking at him including Ratburn. He kind of looks at his paper, then looks up again. And everybody everybody's face is replaced by a giant eyeball. Like their facial features are gone and it's just a they're all giant blinking eyes. <laughs> it's like if you're not ready for it, it's going to scare you. It's like Buster logged on to Unre- uh uh Quake 3 Arena. Everybody's playing as that eyeball guy. Was there an eyeball guy in Quake 3 Arena? Oh, yeah, that's the best character model. I forget his name. Oh, y- you keep talking. I got to figure out, okay, Quake 3 <laughs> Arena eyeball, because he definitely has a name. Okay. Uh, See, I, I, I just remember the normal characters from Quake 3 Arena. I used to play the demo a lot, so I don't remember. Orb. Orb. Okay. He's got little legs, and he's an eyeball. <laughs> I, I mean. The I- best character model by far. I can't say what this reminds me of. It's, it seems like like what would happen if, you know, you let Earthbound spoil for a couple of days. Then it comes up with this <laughs> nightmarish uh, thing. Uh, so Buster tries to recover with a different joke. Uh, like what do you call two banana peels? But everybody knows the punchline. A pair of slippers. Yeah, they sort of like exasperate. They're like so bored. And like they're, he's like, what do you call a pair of banana peels? And everybody kind of responds back. So just took the air out of the room completely. So after the report, uh, they're all on the t- on the tire swings, and Buster is completely obsessed with the fact that Binky took his joke. And at first, Francine and Arthur are just like, "Yeah, that's no, that's too bad. He shouldn't have done that." Anyway, you want to you want to do this, and but Buster's just like, "He took my joke. Binky took my joke." And then it turns out that Buster gets a D on his report, and what a D it is! Like, Arthur even remarks on it later, like, Mr. Ratburn does, like, a cursive D, and he's like, no matter how fancy you write a D, it's still a D. Like, it's a, but it's a nice, it's a nice looking D. Uh, <laughs> uh, Throw some Ds on that paper. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, again, Buster is still wrapped up in the fact, like, for days afterward, like, he's with Arthur at different, like, social functions and just saying, like, who ends a Columbus report with the joke about King Tut? Which actually is, you know what? That's a pretty good criticism. Y- yeah, no, that that's legitimate. Uh, and I did have that quote written down. Buster yells that in a crowded movie theater while a movie is playing, which I think, which is really funny. Uh, right, and uh, Francine's there, and she's like, Pinky does now, shh. Yeah, yeah, Pinky does now, shh. Like, just really quiet him down. But this is, like, eating him alive, we're supposed to understand. Um, yeah, Buster really has, like, a Count of Monte Cristo thing going on where he's, like, consumed by revenge. Buster later finds out during a soccer game that Binky got a B-plus on his report, which he attributes to him stealing the joke. And Buster has an imagination that, like, it's Binky telling the joke again, but Mr. Ratburn is, like... Like starts laughing wildly and falls out of his chair. I I love Ratburn's uncontrollable laughter. It's like it's like it's like he's a hyena or something. He says, "I was gonna give you an F, but that joke, you deserve a higher grade." Yeah, that's great. 
Just Buster, again, becoming completely unreasonable and uh, unrealistic. Uh, right. At this point, Buster's like totally – he's so consumed with uh, uh, his grudge against Biggie that he's not seeing – he's missing the forest for the trees uh, because it wasn't because of his joke that Biggie got a high grade. It's because it was a good presentation. If you remember the little bit of Biggie's presentation we hear at the start of the episode, it's actually pretty well-researched. Like it seems like he's coming to a conclusion that references all his previous paragraphs, even though he's talking about Chris Columbus. Uh, the joke probably hurt him more than helped him because it was totally unrelated. Uh, whereas Buster did absolutely no research and spent all of his time on his joke, so that's probably why he got a bad grade. They're almost, most definitely totally unrelated. Yeah, and it's, so this is where the episode really started to turn for me, of, of like, this started to get really interesting. Because, again, like Arthur said in the beginning, this is a side of Buster's personality we've never seen, and how he really is letting his well his his hatred for Binky consume him uh kids you'll have to you'll have to allow me a little bit of leeway here I'm gonna talk about wrestling again for just a little bit um so Buster's hate goes from like Binky's joke theft and then he just thinks that Binky doesn't deserve to be funny like they, there's this whole conversation at the sugar bowl uh or sorry I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit um Buster is so consumed that, like, he accidentally scores the winning goal in soccer, but he's, like, still, Binky told my joke. And he, he, and then Francine's like, well, stop telling us. Why don't you go and tell Binky? And he goes to walk up to Binky, and it's like, hey, Binky. And then we get this shot of, like, him looming over Buster. And so Buster chickens out because, like, have you ever noticed how large Binky is? <laughs> uh and then he's like, "It's like I'll never, it's like I'll never be able to get back at Binky." And then uh, Binky accidentally slips in mud and finds himself covered head to toe. And Buster starts laughing because he thinks that that's kind of the just desserts. But then Binky starts laughing, like he kind of laughs it off, and everybody's laughing. And then he's like, "Arthur's like, now what's wrong?" He's like, "It's like they think Binky's funny." And this leads into so it goes beyond Buster being upset that Binky stole his joke. Now he thinks that Binky doesn't deserve to be funny. We get this whole kind of. Almost a monologue in the Sugar Bowl about how. Oh my God! About how the, the first of two, I might add. Yeah, we get this whole thing about how Buster, like, dedicates his life to comedy. Like, he's the one who memorizes joke books, practices making funny faces in the mirror. Like, he's the funny guy. And now it's like Binky is kind of, like, basically uh, tripping into his territory, and it's upsetting Buster because of all the hard work he does. So again, here's the wrestling reference, kids. Buster reminded me a lot of, like, the character of Bret Hart here. Of, <laughs> of kind of like, you know, I'm I'm the best wrestler slash comedian in the world. And then this, this Binky, this stone-cold Steve Austin, he thinks that he can come in here and say that he's better than me, even though he's clearly not. And so it's like we go from this beloved figure of Buster into this different person who is still Buster, but it's this other side of him is completely tainting his personality. It's really interesting. Yeah, this episode is like the first Arthur episode I've seen yet that's like a, basically a character study. And it's a character study of like evil Buster, like Buster with a goatee. And it's just funny seeing his descent into like obsession. Yeah, I feel like it, like Buster is almost like Robert De Niro in The King of Comedy here. Like he's it's like it's like, <laughs> it's like this episode was guest directed by Martin Scorsese or something. Uh, uh, he, during his Sugar Bowl rant, he goes, Binky doesn't care about funny. Yeah, it's like, it's me who cares about funny. And it's like, he's he's really cutting promos on Binky. Uh, While he's, like, shoving a banana in his, like, mouth to make a big smile. And then when he talks about Binky, he sort of turns it upside down so it's a big frowny face. And then he eats... Multiple levels! And then he eats that banana in one mouthful, which is pretty impressive. Uh, so the talent show is coming up, and Buster's going to use that opportunity to show up Binky, which we think is just like he's going to be, you know, put on this really killer set, and he's going to prove that he is the funniest in in the school. We cut to the talent show. Sue Ellen does a demonstration where she kicks the head off a scarecrow, which Mr. Ratburn calls a demonstration of pumpkin kicking. And That's my favorite 90s alternative rock band, the Kicking Pumpkins. <laughs> uh... And Buster comes out to do his set, and they and Arthur and Francine are just like, well, at least now he can't talk about how Binky stole his joke. And then Buster proceeds to do, like, 45 seconds, like, again, like, a promo. Like, he's basically looking into the hard cam, which is the audience, and talking, not really doing anything funny, but he's just plainly laying out the situation where Binky stole his joke. 
this is like a trope I've seen in other things too, where like someone's going on stage to do a stand-up comedy performance and instead like totally just like talks about their own life and it's like really really like off-putting to the audience this is something i've seen in like multiple movies and shows and it's always a funny situation to me especially when they cut back to backstage and like francine and arthur's like horror at that buster's not telling jokes at all he's just like going on a rant um though he does sneak one joke in there where he's talking to the audience and goes have you guys heard about this binky guy yeah he did a report about columbus that's italian for boy am i lost which is a pretty solid joke yeah like there was stuff in there but it was also very angry uh it reminds me of if you ever saw the big sick last year there's a a couple of yes yes that's exactly what i was thinking of was that part of the big sick yeah where uh, kamel nanjiani is just kind of like pouring his heart out about his life essentially and it's not really comedic it's just kind of sad and this one is not so much sad it's angry my favorite part of this whole thing is that we actually get the start of a running gag here of how like george wins all the talent shows because of his like pogo stick abilities and it cuts back to buster and he just goes i can't believe i didn't win (laughs) like he's so clouded that not only did he think like he actually did comedy he thought it was good enough that he could he should have won Amazing line from Buster when uh, <laughs> Arthur goes, but Buster, you didn't tell any jokes. And Buster goes, comedy of truth. All the greats do it. <laughs> and then he's just like, I should have told jokes. This is all this is all Binky's fault. <laughs> and so we get the, and then we get this cutaway where Arthur thinks that Buster will be mad at Binky for the rest of his life. This. Oh, this is amazing. This is awesome. Uh, so it's Buster and Arthur in three stages of their life in the future. The first one is them at college. It's even Arthur being like, wow, Buster, our first day of college. And uh, they're like dressed like they're in like Animal House, <laughs> like total classic, like 1950s college varsity outfits. Yeah, Arthur's got a striped sweater and Buster has the Letterman's jacket. Uh, yeah. And which has the B on the back. And of course, they get to, with the voice actors get to kind of age up their voices a little bit. So. He's like, wow, Buster, our first day of college. And Buster's like, Binky's not here, is he? He told my joke. It was a good <laughs> joke. And Arthur just kind of groans. My favorite one is the second one where Buster becomes the president of the United States and is giving an address to the nation to different nations, which I must say, some of them are kind of stereotypically dressed. Like they've got the Scots. Yeah. They've got the Scots. I can't tell if these were actually like ambassadors from a country or like Mike Tyson's punch out enemies. Because <laughs> like like you said, the Scots been straight up wearing like a kilt. Uh, I think there's someone from some sort of East Asian country using uh, wearing their traditional dress. Like it is very like almost caricatures. I thought it was weird that Soda Popinski was in the group. <laughs> so and then and so we get to hear Buster's aged up voice even more and it's it but it's kind of to the point of it being funny like I still remember this line uh from years years later of just uh ladies and gentlemen the president of the United States and we just hear Buster go Binky told my joke it was in Mr. Ratbird's third grade class and he <laughs> he starts crying like he leads off his address with that it's almost uh i hate to bring him up but it's almost trumpian in how uh i wrote down very trumpian on my notes because at in the 90s it'd be like oh this is crazy the a president would never like hold a grudge like this but like i mean if you'll indulge me for a moment failing Binky stole my joke in the fourth grade hasn't come up with an original thing in his life it's my joke it's all the best jokes i wrote it you know me. I come up with the best jokes. The best jokes. I come up with the best. I get, It's all the best jokes. I'm very funny. People tell me I'm funny all the time. Yeah, and he's, he's even got kind of the, the blonde comb over a little bit. So I know. it's it's. You know how people always say the Simpsons predicts the future. This might be another case of Arthur predicting the future. It could be. It could be. And then the final thing is Arthur and Buster's old men playing golf, which I did like seeing. <laughs> I did like seeing their. This is my favorite I one. I did like seeing their designs. And again, they get to talk as if they're old men. So it's like, Arthur's like, if I make this shot, it's the best game of my life. (laughs) Like the delivery on that, the scenario is hilarious. Like the fact that like Arthur's about to play his perfect game of golf and he cares so deeply about it. And then his like delivery of that line, like if I make this shot. And then of course, Buster's still ranting about Binky and he misses the shot. It, yeah, it, like as uh, just as Arthur's about to take the swing, he just goes, "He told my joke. It was a good King Tut joke," and Arthur Arthur totally whiffs on the on the shot. 
so Arthur tries in vain to uh, get Buster to leave this grudge alone. Uh, we uh, Arthur's kind of the one who does the, um, I, I, I guess you'd say the proselytizing or like the, um, what, what am I trying to say here? He's the one who's delivering the message, essentially, of the, of the episode. Yes. Is, of, is that, uh, you know, if you let this consume you, then it will just... You know, it'll burn a hole in you for the rest of your life, and it won't make you happy. Uh, they have to lay this out plain a couple of times. Like, you know, it's Arthur saying that, you know, staying mad about something is not going to change it, and you can't let it destroy you. But I'm glad that they did, because sometimes I feel like these messages can get lost lost in the weeds a little bit, especially considering how I think Buster's uh, hateful character is actually pretty entertaining. But you've got to have the message there of, like, this is bad. Like, Buster is doing himself yeah. a disservice here. Uh, like, in fact, he's not even really listening to Arthur. He just says, I know what I have to do now, Arthur. I need a time machine so that I can go back and change the past so that Binky never tells my joke. And to which Arthur says, you can't change the past, Buster. And he's like, oh, I can't, can't I? And then he asks the same question. Smash cut to Brain, who goes, you can't change the past, Buster. And he's like, oh. Oh, rats. Uh, so Buster ends up skipping stones down by the pier, I guess. Arthur said, Arthur relates a story of how he didn't get a green birthday cake, uh, for his fourth birthday. Uh, and he's still mad about it and he's going to stay mad until he gets it to which Buster's like, that's silly. How do you expect, uh, to get something like that? And then Arthur's like, well, you seem to be thinking the same thing. And Buster responds with, but Binky, essentially he's saying that like Binky didn't deserve to take his joke that he worked really hard for and get a better grade. But then Arthur comes back with, Buster, you barely did any work on your report at all. Your whole report was about eggnog. And Buster says, that's not my fault. They put it next to Egypt in the encyclopedia. (laughs) Which I remember that. Have you ever done a report off an encyclopedia before? Uh, I remember my family had a set of encyclopedias, but I never read them very much. When I was in school, like elementary school, uh, I would I always loved like looking at like a random thing in the encyclopedia and reading the whole article. Like I remember reading the passage about oranges in the encyclopedia, so I could see getting lost in the eggnog. <laughs> uh, and then Buster kind of pretty quickly comes to the realization of like, yeah, you know what, this was kind of my fault, and I don't want to, and. I should talk to Binky about this. And uh, as luck would have it, Binky roller skates up to them. Binky rocking the belly shirt. Yeah, love Binky's like 80s roller skater outfit. So Buster goes up to him and says, I just wanted to tell you that I'm not mad at you anymore. And Binky is completely oblivious to what he's talking about. <laughs> and Buster even has to remind him what the joke was that Binky told. Uh, you know, he says it again and Binky's like, hey, that's a good one. And Again, like Buster has to really remind him because I guess Binky didn't think that much about telling the joke of just like you took you took that joke, the joke that I was going to use in my report. And Binky's defense of himself is when somebody tells you a joke, you're supposed to tell it to somebody else. Oof, Binky, I feel like I've worked with a lot of people who follow Binky's uh, philosophy around humor and are like, hey, I was watching this Dane Cook special the other night and then repeat it word for word to me. And I go, yeah. There you go. That that was that five minutes. I'm never gonna get back. Um, but Binky does does go a little bit further. He says, "I didn't mean to steal it," and then reaches into his pocket and gives Buster seventy three cents, a sticker of a cool car, and a button uh, for for uh, accidentally stealing his joke. Uh, and Buster kind of looks at it for a second, and then he realizes, "I got paid for writing a joke. I'm a professional." So it all kind of turned out okay, and Buster kind of sees this as a victory and uh, vindicating of how of how long of how much of his life is dedicated to st- studying comedy. And then yeah, he goes up to Binky and he's like, "With your natural, you know, funniness and my writing ability, we're gonna make you into a big star." And Binky's like, "I can have my own show." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you can have your own show. You and me and Arthur." And the final line of the episode is Binky saying. It's like, you and me, maybe. But I don't think Arthur. Who'd want to watch him on TV? <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> All right, so let's rewind it back. Uh, first story we talked about was Popular Girls. What'd you think? Uh, I liked Popular Girls, mostly because I think that episode... Uh, that episode wouldn't work at all, I don't think, if it wasn't for Fern and Sue Ellen. 
It's really fun. Both of these episodes are examples of characters sort of getting turned on their head in a way that we don't normally see them. Whether it's Buster turning into like a a grudge-obsessed nightmare, or if it's Fern being very assertive, uncharacteristically so, or Sue Ellen trying to be meek on purpose. And it's always interesting seeing these kids sort of try to change themselves in this unnatural way. And I, I just really like the, uh, the dynamic of Fern and, and Sue Ellen together. Um, I mean, in the third half, the plot kind of drags a little bit. It's one of those cases where you can kind of see where it's going. But not a particularly standout episode, but enjoyable nonetheless. In the th- Funny, too. There's some great lines in it, uh, especially, like, seeing, like, F- Sue Ellen get, like, power bobbed by Binky and then Binky being like consumed by like oh no she let me win that's like extra funny to me in the third half eh oh <laughs> sorry just got a little chuckle out of that um so I will admit that I did like the spotlight on the secondary characters especially Fern and Sue Ellen as well but Fern is one of my favorite characters so that so that I liked but I gotta be honest I didn't have a lot to say about this episode I like uh, my notes are yeah. Ne- neither did I. Really, my notes are very sparse, and it kind of didn't really stick with me very much. I mean, I thought it was okay enough, but it's definitely not my favorite anything, and not particularly something that I had a lot of thoughts on either. So it just kind of just kind of came and went. I don't really have much to say about it. It's kind of a excuse me unusual premise for an episode, so I'll give it that. But uh, you know, aside from those things I mentioned, it's you know it's okay. Now, Buster's Growing Grudge, I liked quite a bit more. And it's it's like you said uh, before, Lucas, that's a great point, that this really is a character study. It's And it's a side of Buster that we, prob- we may never get to see again, but knowing that it's there is so much enriches the character of knowing that Buster has this, like, vindictive side and of how borderline obsessive he is about uh, comedy. So, like, not only, like, it goes from, you know, Buster being kind of the jokester, the class clown, to, like, he's the guy that you hear about, like, of, you know, your Jimmy Fallon's or your, you know, cast members of SNL who, like, study comedy and, like, the like the art and the theory and science of comedy. Right. So, like, he's... Particularly the, the line about, like, you know, it's comedy of truth, all the greats do it. From that line alone, you could tell that Buster is, like, a scholar of the art of, of comedy. I know exactly what you're saying. And I just found it really interesting how Buster continued to justify his actions. Uh, and I thought it made a lot of sense. I thought the writing here was really sharp of how, like, Buster never blames himself until the very end because he's just so consumed by his uh, contempt for Binky. And, I mean, that's that's how you write great heels, essentially. Buster kind of does a little bit of a heel turn in this episode. And I thought it was really cool. And... Uh, and a, and a, but in a low stakes enough uh, uh, scenario where it's like you know that nothing is really on the line here except for Buster's pride, but sometimes that's all it takes. So yeah, I know I really like this episode. I found it very interesting to watch. I also like the nuance of they sort of like Buster's kind of justified in the in the beginning. Um, like Binky did steal his joke, and though it probably wouldn't have saved Buster's presentation. Uh, you shouldn't be stealing people's jokes. I mean, notable Instagram stars have been called out for the exact same thing. But um, it also shows no matter how justified Buster was in the beginning, he totally overreacts and sort of lets it consume him to a point where it's getting in the way of him living his life. And as Arthur fears, like the rest of his life until they're like senior citizens. So, I think this episode is a really, really interesting episode and a great character study, like you said, of a side of Buster we don't normally get to see, but I also like how justified and realistic Buster's sort of uh, obsession is. Yeah, for sure. And especially considering how, like, oblivious Binky was to what he did. Yeah, as per usual, Binky, every time Binky's in anything, he's it's always a breakout performance. So yeah, I I would say the second half of the episode I liked a lot better than the first, but uh, it's you know it's all still worth it uh, in the end. All right, so unless there's anything else, uh, let's get into the end of the show and the plugs. 
Uh, so, of course, don't forget, on social media, facebook.com slash elwoodcitylimits. We're over 100 likes. Thank you, everybody. Let's keep it going. And if you've got a review to leave, you can do it there. At ECL Podcast, we got a, a couple of interesting things on Twitter happen recently. First of all, uh, I will say one of our next episodes was recently purchased uh, on videotape, or at least seen on videotape, by at Miller 33 uh, so that was kind of in my mind. And we did get a new follower who I'd like to give a special shout-out to. That would be Jessica Cardos, who is the voice of Sue Ellen. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Yes. Hello. I didn't know that. Hello, uh, Jessica, if you're listening. Thank you very much for your follow, and uh, love to talk to you sometime. Uh, I believe in early episodes, we've praised Jessica for having a distinct and different voice. I think when uh, Swellen's character was first introduced, that was one of the things I mentioned. So that's really cool that she followed the podcast. I just want to make sure, like, she may she may be the more recent voice of Sue Ellen. So let me just look that up real quick. Sue Ellen. Yes, so she's been on fr- since season 10. Oh. Well, still. Yeah. I, I'm still very excited and about that. I look that. forward to, hear, to hearing from her. Uh, again, that's ECL Podcast. On Tumblr, you can ask us things like our wonderful listeners did, uh, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. You can also send us emails, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Finally, the places to find us and keep listening, elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com is our homepage, L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and on the Google Play Store. If you'd like us to be anywhere else, just give us a contact at any of the places we mentioned. Okay, Lucas, next time we gather, Season 3 rolls on, and uh, these two I'm going to be very interested to revisit. Uh, It's Arthur's Treasure Hunt, followed by Return of the King. It's the Return of the King. Return of the King. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Here I go. Uh, so yes, don't worry. It's not the extended edition of Arthur's Return of the King. It's we're just doing the standard version. Wow, Buster's like on Mount Doom for like an hour and a half. And they cut out this whole they cut out this whole character from this episode. Can't believe it. <laughs> so until next time, uh, keep on watching Arthur season three, and we'll be back with you before you know it. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini, what's a prom? See you next time. He told my joke. He told my joke. He told my joke. He told my joke. Binky told my joke. It was my joke. Binky told my joke. He told my joke that I wrote. He told my joke. It was a good joke. Binky told my joke. He told my joke. It was a good King Tut joke.